Mark chapter 10 this morning. And uh, I pray this message will be a blessing to us. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be up front. We're going to have a word of prayer. Now listen. Did you, did you all leave your darts and arrows at home? All right, because there's going to be a couple of minutes in this message that it's going to be uncomfortable. But we'll all get through it together, okay? We'll all get through it together. And the message is being given in love. All right? But there's going to be a couple minutes you're going to be like, oh, is he talking to me? Well, you know what they say, if the shoe fits, we have to wear it, right? And so uh, let's go to the Lord in prayer and ask for some more of that grace that allows me to see myself as he sees me. Father, we thank you for the day. We thank you for the opportunity to be in your house. And God, we're grateful for your word. God, we're grateful for the gift of music that you've given us. God, how it soothes our soul, how it encourages us, and even how music can challenge us. God, to live a life that is pleasing to you. And certainly what a great reminder that greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. God, I pray that you be with us today as we look at your word and, God, as we hear from you. God, I pray that uh, the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart would be acceptable in your sight. God, you are my strength. You are my redeemer. And, God, I pray that if there's someone in this place today that doesn't know Jesus as their Savior, that today they would ultimately come to that realization and that they would call out upon the name of the Lord and receive the forgiveness of sins and everlasting life. God, I pray that if there are others of us that need to do business with you, that today, through the wooing of your word and the Holy Spirit, God, that you would have your will and your way in our life, and God, that when we leave this place, we would be changed, better equipped to serve thee. God, I thank you for our guests. I pray that you encourage them. I pray that you'll challenge them along with each and every one of us, those that are listening online. God, may your word have free course and have its way today. God, we love you and we thank you and praise you. In the precious name of your dear son and for his sake we pray all things. Amen. I was at a pastor's conference in January and uh, Pastor David Stokes, he said one of the greatest threats facing the church of today is the spirit of entitlement. He said it was one of the greatest threats to the church today the spirit of entitlement, and he said that if we were going to have healthy churches, he was talking to pastors, he said, pastors, if we're going to have healthy churches, then we have to be willing to get up in the pulpit and to deal with this spirit of entitlement that we actually find in Scripture. I already read the passage for you today. And he said, we have to deal with it. And, and so today I pray the Lord will open up our eyes, that the Lord will soften our hearts that his word might fall upon the good soil of our hearts and might till, he might be able to till it and to grow something very, very beautiful and special. In Mark chapter 10, notice with me in scripture, we find that Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem. Uh, in fact, if you look at verse 45, the Bible says that he's on his way to Jerusalem and he's going to offer his life as a ransom for many, all those that believe. And so, so he's got big things in store as he gets ready to go to Jerusalem. But if you know the rest of the story, you understand that his disciples, they didn't understand. Even though Jesus had been preparing them for months and months and months for this momentous occasion, his disciples didn't get it. 
They thought they were going to Jerusalem and that Jesus was going to free Israel, right? He's going to free Israel. It's going to be great. And he's going to set up his earthly kingdom. And this is where we find this request. In fact, as they're on the way, I'm not sure I blame James and John because they probably are thinking, hold on. If we're headed to Jerusalem, he just finished telling us that he's going to offer his life as a ransom. Maybe this is the appropriate time to secure positions for ourselves. Maybe now's the time that we, that we go to the Lord and we ask the Lord to do what we want him to do. And so that's where we find, in fact, if you look at verse number 35, the very first verse that we read, it says at the very end of the verse, James and John, they say, do for us whatsoever we shall desire. In fact, if you go to Matthew, I know it's like mind-boggling, but if you go to Matthew chapter 20 and verse 20, Matthew's gospel tells us that they actually got mom involved. They take mom along. They're like, isn't that what we do? We take mom or dad along when we need some reinforcement, isn't it? And so it says they take mom along, but here's the thing. If you think about it, if we're going to consider this story as an example or or an illustration, Peter, James, and John throughout the Gospels are basically seen, it's not ever said this way, but who does Jesus call out most of the time? Who went to the Mount of Transfiguration? Peter, James, and John. Who does he take to the garden to pray later on? Peter, James, and John. Over and over, they are considered by many, in fact, many consider them to be kind of the inner circle of disciples. And so what we see here is the deceitful nature of their request. It really is deceitful in its nature. Notice, they approach Jesus, uh, apparently as Matthew says, with mom in secret. And at first, in verse 35, they don't even tell him what they want. They don't even tell him what they want. They just say, hey, Jesus, we want you to do for us whatever we want. Now, time out for just a second. This isn't the message, but does that sound familiar? Is it just me? Or does any, has anybody ever offered up one of those prayers? Hey, Jesus, I need you to do what I want, and I need you to do it right now. Have we ever done that? Got kind of quiet real quick. It's like, I thought you said it was only going to be uncomfortable for a couple of minutes. I'm telling you, we're not even there to the uncomfortable part. (laughs) Verse 36, look at verse 36. Jesus essentially says in verse 36, he says, not so fast. What is it that you want? Notice, he said unto them, what would you that I should do for you? Listen, you asked me to do whatever you want. I'm not going to give you a blanket yes. That's what kids do to parents. Hey, hey, dad, can I have the... No, wait, let me check with your mom. Right? Or, Mom, can I have this? No, let me wait and check with your dad. Jesus says, hold on. What is it that you guys actually want? And then in verse 37, they basically say, we want the top positions of honor in your kingdom. How many disciples were there? It's not a trick question. Okay, good. I just check in, make it sure. (laughs) Jesus has 12 disciples. Do we not think it's kind of strange that two of them They like deceitfully go to him. What we see in scripture, it seems that they went to him kind of off to the side. And they say, hey, we would that you would do whatever we want. And Jesus says, hey, not so fast. What is it you want? What's eye-opening to me? 
is that if Peter, James, and John were the inner circle, these guys even schemed to keep Peter out of the loop. They don't even take Peter. Who walked on the water? He was the one that got out of the boat, but James and John say, don't tell Peter. We're going to ask Jesus. It's just you and me, bro. Knuckle crunch. We're going to go and ask him for the top positions of honor. You're going to sit on his right hand, and I'm going to sit on the left hand. And so this is what they do. And by the way, folks, I don't want you to walk out of here today and think that ambition is wrong. Ambition is fine. Ambition is good, in fact, in many cases, as long as it's healthy. But is there, is there ambition or is there motive? And listen, I'm not judging their motives. I'm just looking what Scripture reveals. Is their ambition healthy or is their ambition unhealthy? Well, let's notice. We can never be absolutely sure, but look in Scripture. I think we can see some things playing out. I think, first of all, maybe one of their uh, motives or their, their ambitions was a little unhealthy. They were probably seeking this position out of a sense of favoritism. Anybody ever heard of favoritism? Uh, you know, and my boys jokingly all the time, they, they refer to themselves as the one that mom loves most. Right? Or the one that dad loves most. I'll let you guys figure out which son thinks which. Right? That's it. Isn't that how kids are? It's like, well, mom loves you best. No, dad loves you best. No, I love both of you knuckleheads. Right? Right? And this is what, this is what takes place. But can I tell you something? If you're going to the Lord out of a position of favoritism, we need to understand that that mindset is based in pride itself that says I'm more important to you Lord than the other ten my brother and I are more important therefore Jesus we would that you would do whatever we want and we want to sit on your right hand and we want to sit on your left hand and Jesus says you guys don't even know what you ask are you able to drink at the same cup I'm able to drink he's talking about the God's full cup of wrath that he's getting ready to drink for the sins of man and so this is what they ask. Uh, in fact, Acts chapter 10, verse 34, Peter reminds us that God is not a respecter of persons. In fact, in Proverbs 16, 18, the Bible teaches us that pride goeth before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. Some people say, well, why did they bring mom along? Well, there's a lot of people, and listen... I'm not sure you can prove this in Scripture, but there's a lot of biblical theologians and commentaries that believe that James and John's mother was Jesus' earthly aunt, which kind of makes things a little more interesting, right? Because now it's like, hey, cuz, we're your cousins. And guess what? Let's keep this in the family. I'm going to sit on the right, and cousin James, he wants to sit on the left. And so we have this spirit of favoritism. But also, I think there's another unhealthy motive that might have been running in their mind. You remember Zebedee in Mark chapter 1, verse 20? The Bible talks about that when Jesus called them, that they left their father who owned his own fishing business. And not only did he own a fishing business, what would have been common, but he had hired servants. And so there's a little bit of an implication that dad had a little bit of Little, yeah, Chuck, Chuck says scratch. Dad had a little bit of scratch. And so guess what? Jesus, we'll sit on your right side and your left side. And don't forget, Daddy Dearest has a good business and he might be able to further your kingdom a little bit with his money. 
Maybe that was going on. Maybe, uh, maybe just the desire. Men always struggle with this, by the way, ladies. And, and I know it, uh, there are ladies who struggle with this. But for the most part, men struggle with this desire for power, influence, and authority. And they're thinking, oh, isn't that going to be awesome? Jesus will be on the throne. I'll be on the right. You be on the left. And we will be in positions of authority over the kingdom. And so there's that desire, social status that would have come along with being placed on the pedestal, so to speak. But some good motives. You say, are there some good motives? Well, it could be that they wanted to sit on his right and left out of their love for Jesus, out of their faith in Jesus, out of their loyalty to Jesus. And those things may have been prevalent. But when I look at Scripture, to be honest, I believe that their request is heavily based on a problem that has grown and grown over the years and continues to hinder the church from truly being healthy. And that's the spirit of entitlement. I believe these two had a spirit of entitlement. And the reason this hampers the church's ability is because when we think we're entitled, when we operate out of our selfish desires, those things run counter to the very example of Jesus. And so that can never be healthy. Do you understand that when we do something that is contrary to Jesus, it's unhealthy? Biblically, it's unhealthy. Personally, it's unhealthy for the church. And so quite simply, James and John, they feel entitled to have these positions of honor. And in verse, look at verse 41. In verse 41, what's amazing to me is that when the other disciples, when they finally hear what's going on, right? When they finally hear what's going on, verse 41 tells us they're angry. Why do you think they're angry? Anybody considered this? Do you think that they're angry because James and John are having this discussion with Jesus about who's going to sit on the right and left? I don't. I think they're angry because James and John beat them to the punch. You say, whoa, where do you get that? I'm glad you asked. Flip over. You might just be able to look on the left side of your Bible there in Mark chapter 9. Mark chapter 9. Look at verse 33. 33 to 35. In Mark chapter 9, verse 33 to 35, the Bible says, And he came to Capernaum, and being in the house, he asked them, What was it that ye disputed among yourselves by the way? He's speaking to all the disciples. But they held their peace, for by the way, they had disputed among themselves. What does it say? Hold on a second. James and John aren't the only ones. It says, by the way, they had this little disputation, as the King James puts it. They had a little argument, a little disagreement. Who's going to be the greatest? And that's what it says. It says, for by the way, they disputed among themselves who should be the greatest. Look at verse 35. And he sat down and called the twelve and saith unto them, If any man desire to be first, the same shall be last of all. And servant of all. Nothing new, guys. Nothing new under the sun, Solomon tells us in Scripture. Every one of these disciples had a sense of entitlement. They felt entitled because of their relationship to Jesus. And this is one of the things that keep, keeps many churches today from being healthy. In fact, the word entitlement, if you look up the definition of entitlement, it simply means this. The belief that one is inherently deserving of privileges or special treatment. Now, stop. In the church, 
This is where it gets uncomfortable. In the church, do we see, I'm not necessarily just speaking a battlefield, in the church as a whole, do we see this definition playing out? The belief that one is inherently deserving of privileges or special treatment? See, I, I polled the staff the other day, and here's what we came up with. Just so you know, I didn't sit alone and come up with this list. I asked them, I said, what are some ways that entitlement has crept into the church? Bear with me and please don't throw darts. Number one, I have already done my time. I don't need to serve. My child's already graduated. My child's already moved on. I'm, I'm 65. I served for 60 years. I don't need to serve. I'm, I'm not even legal yet. How can I serve? Number two. Let me turn around this way with this list. In fact, let me go over here and hide. Number two, I give. I give. I give an occasional offering. I'm not sure I agree with you on the whole tithe thing. Uh, and I'm not real sure about this faith promise supporting missionaries, but I, I give every once in a while. Isn't that enough? Uh, Pastor, <clears throat> you don't know my schedule. Yes, I do. I do. Because for many, many years, I used to get up at 3 o'clock in the morning and drive all the way into Washington, D.C., the military district of Washington, and serve in the military and then I would literally get off of work my wife knows I would get off work and I would come back here this used to be years ago you guys remember when we had not only choir practice on Sunday we had choir practice on Wednesday night at six o'clock oh by the way let me stop we had Sunday morning Sunday evening and in between Sunday morning and Sunday evening was choir practice then Monday if if I wasn't being called by Mrs. Skinner that was a miracle of God and then Tuesday, and then Tuesday I was out on soul winning and visitation every week. And then on Wednesday I was here at 6 o'clock for choir practice. Then we had 7.30 Bible study. And then we'd get home on vapors. My kids, you know, hey, I've done it. Listen, don't, don't tell me. Then Thursday, if I was not at work, I would come out and they would go out soul winning and visitation on Thursday morning. And then Friday was like our day. We would go... And we were still running upward basketball. And so guess what? I coached basketball team every year at upward basketball, Joe. You know I was there doing that. And then Sunday, guess what? Poof. It started all over again. And so I get it. And I remember many nights, this is before they renovated the sheets. It was when sheets became brand new. Our Wednesday night dinner was either a hot, hot dog or a hamburger from sheets every Wednesday night because we could barely make it to church. And so I do know a little bit about what I'm talking about because I wasn't always the pastor. I was church member. I was just sitting over there, Crystal, where you're sitting, serving the Lord the best I could. And so I get it. I attend worship. What else do you want, pastor? My preferences, my desires are more important than anything else. This is how entitlement has crept into the church. I'll serve, pastor, but only if you let me do what I want, where I want, and how I want. Don't share the needs with me. Don't tell me that you need somebody to change a baby's diaper because I'm anti-baby. How did you get here? I'm glad your mom wasn't anti-baby because you're here. Somebody had to change your diaper, right? 
Don't ask me to do those things. Uh, here's another sense of entitlement. Pastor, I appreciate your message. <laughs> uh, but you know, I've, I've held the position of, uh, I've taught this class for 32 years. I was teaching that class while you were still this high. Um, <clears throat> I'm entitled to teach and do whatever I want in this place. The sign on the door should have told you. Hold on. What did James and John say to Jesus? Throw up verse 35 for me, guys, of Mark chapter 10. Verse 35, Mark chapter 10. It says, we would, notice, it says, we would that thou shouldest do for us whatsoever we shall desire. Jesus, it doesn't matter what you desire. It doesn't matter what the white-headed preacher desires. It doesn't matter that we have families that are broken. It doesn't matter that we have children that need leadership in children's ministry. It doesn't matter that we need uh, assistant teachers with our adult Bible studies. It doesn't matter that we struggle every year to get referees to serve in upper basketball. It doesn't matter that Carol and Diane have been running the snack shack because nobody will give them a break for 50 years. Seems like 50 years, right, Carol? It doesn't matter because I, I, don't, I, I don't have it within me to do it. That's wrong. You do have it within you to do it. Every one of us have the ability to serve. James and John, they did exactly what many people do. They made huge demands on the Lord to do what they wanted, to, to appease their preferences and to give in to their selfish ambitions. But folks, that's just not biblical. That's a country club mentality. And I put down here at the bottom of my notes, country club churches are unhealthy churches. It's a country club mentality, and country club churches are unhealthy churches. Turn with me to 1 Corinthians 12. 1 Corinthians 12, so we can wrap this love fest up. By the way, I told another pastor I was preaching on this topic, and he said, praise the Lord, I'm going to pray for you tomorrow. Because most people don't like it when we're reminded that we have a responsibility to serve the Lord. Notice what 1 Corinthians chapter 12 says, and jump down with me, for sake of time, jump down with me to verse number 14. If you're there, say amen. amen. Okay, for the body is not one member, but many. If the foot shall say, because I am not the hand, I am not of the body, is it therefore not of the body? And if the ear shall say, because I am not the eye, I am not of the body, is it therefore not of the body? If the whole body were an eye, where were the hearing? If the whole were hearing, where were the smelling? But now hath God set the members, every one of them in the body, as it hath pleased him. And if they were all one member, where were the body? But now are they many members, yet but one body. And the eye cannot say unto the hand, I have no need of thee, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. Nay, much more, those members of the body which seem to be more feeble are necessary. And those members of the body which we think to be less honorable, upon these we bestow more abundant honor. 
And our uncomely parts have more abundant comeliness. For our comely parts have no need, but God hath tempered the body together, having given more abundant honor to that part which lacketh. Notice verse 25, that there should be no schism in the body, but that the members should have the same care for one another. Now this passage actually stresses the unity of the church, but it also provides each and every one of us this huge reminder that everybody in a healthy church has a specific role. Everybody in a healthy church has a specific role. In verse 14, in fact, in verse 14, the Bible states that every believer is a necessary part of the whole, whether God has placed us in as a hand, a foot, an ear, an eye, or a nose. He's done so as verse 18. Look at verse 18. He's done so as verse 18 says, but now hath God set every member, one of them in the body, as it, notice what he says, as it hath what him? He set you right here at Battlefield Baptist Church for a purpose. He has a plan and he has a purpose for your life. He has a plan and a purpose for my life. Years ago when I came as a church member, I never, ever, ever could have imagined that his plan and his purpose would be to call me to pastor this church one day. But God has a plan. And so we have to be willing to follow his leadership and his plan. James and John saw themselves as being entitled, which led them to ask for this position of influence, this position of prominence. Instead of simply asking God, Lord, when you establish your kingdom, would you allow us to serve? What would that have looked like? Lord, we would that you would do whatever we ask of you. Well, what do you want? We want to be servants in your kingdom. What if they asked him to be servants? I think his response would have been much different. Listen, the question is, they saw themselves as being entitled. So you and I, we have to ask ourselves the difficult question this morning. How do we see ourselves? How do I see myself? How do you see yourself? Are we sitting on the sidelines saying, I can't serve, I have no talent? No, the Bible says even those parts that seem to be feeble are more necessary if you think you don't have any ability, God says you do. God says, I've got a reason for bringing you here. I want to use you. I want you to serve. I want to give you an opportunity to make a difference in the lives of other people. Are we stewing over some personal preference? I was talking a little bit about that. Are we stewing over some personal preference or desire that we may have? Or are we serving in some way with the spirit of entitlement? I serve. That means the idea of serving begrudgingly. I'll serve, but I ain't going to like it. You know what? I'll be real honest. It would be best if you would just humbly say, you know what? My heart's not in the right spot. I need to stop serving. Listen, I, if we've got a problem with what God is calling us to do at this exact moment, why would we want to serve in that capacity? Why would I want to serve as pastor if I'm angry all the time, if I'm, if I'm upset all the time? Listen, we have the greatest opportunity in the world. I told this pastor I was talking to yesterday. He was here speaking for the Fresta Valley Christian School graduation. I told him, I said, you want to know something? And he said, and I told him, and he said, I can see that all over your face. I said, I love serving people. I love serving people. I may not be the greatest speaker. I may not be the greatest pastor, but I just love the opportunity to serve people. And he said, I get that from you. Man, we ought to be excited to serve people, to serve the Lord along the way. Oh, this sense of entitlement 
wreaks havoc in our lives if we're not careful. Do we see ourselves as servants? Because in Mark chapter 10, there in verse 43 and 44, Jesus said this. He said, but so it shall not be among you, but whosoever will be great among you shall be your minister, and whosoever will... Uh, whosoever you will be the chiefest shall be servant of all. And so if we're going to develop this spirit of servanthood, we're going to have to do some things. We're going to have to uh, allow God to, to grow us. We're going to need his help, quite honestly. We're going to need his help to, to, to allow us to exercise and develop a few thoughts as we go along the way. And the number one thing that we're going to have to develop if we really want to develop our servanthood is humility. We're going to have to develop. See, because the opposite of entitlement, saying, hey, I'm worthy of this position, is what do you need me to do? I'll do anything. Uh, I, I'm thinking about a couple of people. They came up here yesterday. They were changing the roofs and painting sheds. No one was even watching. By the way, I did see you up on that roof, Jay. I saw Joe Beavers. I saw Carl. I, I, saw, I saw a number of guys, uh, uh, Richard. Uh, Owens and a number of guys, Sonny was up here and others that were working on sheds, on simply painting, repainting sheds and re-roofing sheds. We can all do something, right? And so it's an amazing thing, but we have to develop the spirit of humility which comes exactly from Jesus Christ. In fact, Philippians 2, 5 and following, the Bible says, Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation. That means he humbles himself. Watch. And took upon him the form of a what? Servant. And was made in the likeness of men, and being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Biblical humility only happens when we focus on Jesus. When I put the focus on Jesus and I put the focus on others, you know, that's, by the way, we have a ladies' class that's called the joy class. Jesus, others, and you. When we keep that thing intact there where it really, truly, honestly is Jesus first, others second, and me last, we're going to have joy unspeakable. God's going to do some great things in our life. But this requires humility. It was C.S. Lewis in his book, Mere Christianity. He said these words. He said, true humility is not thinking less of yourself. It's thinking of yourself less. Did he pick up on that? He said... True humility is not thinking less of yourself, it's thinking of yourself less. Philippians 2, back in Philippians 2, verse 3 and 4, the Apostle Paul tells the church at Philippi, Let nothing be done through strife or vainglory, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem other better than themselves. Look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. In other words, what Paul was saying is, Church, be concerned with others. Don't focus on your own life. Focus on others. When you put the focus outward, when you're outwardly focused, God's going to use you to do some great things. It was Travis Dickinson, Dickerson rather, in his work, The Lost Virtue of Humility. He said this, When we act or serve, knowing our place relative to the proper place of God as God, then we have put on Christian humility. When we serve and understand the proper place of God as God, then we've put on Christian humility. So if we're going to develop the spirit of servanthood, we have to have humility. We also need to have obedience. 
See, the Bible tells us in Philippians that Jesus Christ, he not only made himself a servant, he was not only humble, but he became obedient. Right? Verse 8 says that he became obedient unto the death, even the death of the cross. In Hebrews chapter 10, and we don't have time to go to all these places, but in Hebrews chapter 10, the Bible reminds us that Jesus came to do God's will. In John chapter 6, verse 38, the Bible says this. This is Jesus speaking. He says, For I came down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him that sent me. In fact, speaking to us, Paul is writing to the church at Ephesus in Ephesians 1, 2, and 3. He's writing about doctrinal issues. And then if you know the book of Ephesians, you know that in chapters 4, 5, and 6, he has the practical application of what he's communicated in chapters 1, 2, and 3. But in chapter 2 of Ephesians 2, verse number 10, the Bible says, For we are his, watch, we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus unto good works which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. Listen, we're not simply saved. We're not simply redeemed as the song said, right? We're not redeemed just to sit on the sideline. We're not redeemed just to be freed. We have been saved to serve. Right? We are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus unto what? Good works. We're actually to do something with this gift that we've been given. In fact, I was telling somebody the other day, I, I think I was telling Colby, I put in my message this statement. Honestly, if we're not serving, if we're not serving, we're not growing. I never started growing until I started serving others. I used to sit over here, and there was a period of time that my wife took off and she was growing spiritually, and I was stagnated. And I'd listen to the messages, and I was like, oh my gosh, if he, if he says this again, if he does this again, and I realized I had a heart issue. And so you know what I did? When I started questioning the pastor's messages, I bought a notebook. I bought a spiral notebook. And you know what I did? I started taking notes. I wrote down every scripture passage that the man mentioned. I wrote down every point that he mentioned. I still have them in my office in a box. All these notebooks that I filled up. By the way, there's more than one. Year after year that I filled up with notes from messages. And when I started understanding more of scripture, when I started realizing that God wanted me to serve somebody other than me, myself, and I, it was an amazing thing. God started growing me in ways that I could have never imagined, in some ways that were, quite frankly, uncomfortable. It's uncomfortable sometimes to serve, isn't it? Question? To serve others, it's going to cost you something. What did it cost Jesus? It cost him everything. He humbled himself. He took off. He laid aside his royal robes. He became a servant. Listen, he came in the flesh and he continued to sacrifice all throughout his life. And ultimately, the Bible tells us how he laid down his life to serve me. And so listen, we, we have to humble ourselves. We have to walk in obedience. Galatians 5.13 says that we, brethren, have been called unto liberty. Not only use liberty for an occasion to the flesh, but by love serve one another. Colossians 3.17, whatsoever you do in word and deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God and the Father by him. Romans 6, verse 17 and 18 chronicles what we were and what we became through Jesus Christ. Oh, we were the servants of sin, but now ye are become the servants of righteousness. 
Oh, may we obey God's word and become greater servants because of it. And then, quite frankly, we not only need to humble ourselves and become obedient, but we need to sacrifice. Like I said, it's going to cost you something to serve. In his book, I Am Church Member, maybe you've picked up that small book by Tom Rainer. Tom Rainer says this. He illustrates the fact that we are not part of the church to see what we can get out of it. God has placed us in the church. Remember, as it has pleased him, we are part of the church to serve the Lord and to care for others. He said these words, Our perspective should always be on giving, not receiving, as we serve others. Turn with me and I'm going to close the message. Isaiah 53. Isaiah 53. See, if we're going to really develop a spirit of servanthood, we have to humble ourselves. We have to be obedient to God's word, right? I mean... It's not Greg that's asking you to serve, although I will ask you to serve all the time because it's made a huge impact in my life. But it's God's word that encouraged me to serve. And so no matter where you're at today, I want you to look at what it cost Jesus. In Isaiah 53, in Isaiah 53, the Bible says this in verse 6 and following, All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way, and the Lord hath laid on who? Speaking of who? This is Jesus. Now pay attention to the he's and the him's and the his throughout this passage. It says, and the Lord hath laid on him, speaking of Jesus, the iniquity of us all. He, verse 7, speaking of Jesus, was oppressed, and he, Jesus, was afflicted. Yet he, Jesus, opened not his mouth. He, Jesus, is brought as a lamb to the slaughter and as a sheep before the shears is dumb. So he, Jesus, opened not his mouth. He, Jesus, was taken from prison and from judgment. And who shall declare his generation? For he, Jesus, was cut off out of the land of the living for the transgression of my people, which was he stricken. And he, Jesus, made his grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death. Because he, Jesus, had done no violence, neither was any deceit in his, Jesus' mouth. Yet it pleased the Lord God to bruise him, Jesus. He hath put him, Jesus, to grief. And when thou shalt make his soul an offering for sin, he shall see his seed. He shall prolong his days. And the pleasure of the Lord, notice this, the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand and he shall see the travail of his soul what does it say and she'll be satisfied oh the sacrifice of Jesus it's like that song oh precious is the flow that makes me white as snow no other fount I know nothing but the blood of Jesus listen I think about the author of the cross of Christ John Stott he said these words. He said, if the church was worth his blood, speaking of Jesus' blood, is it not worth our labor? He went on to write these words. He says, the privilege of serving is established by the preciousness of the price that was paid for its purpose, purchase. Serving will require humility, obedience, and sacrifice. And I can tell you guys with all Honesty. Sometimes I get tired. 
just like you get tired, right? Our makeup is finite, physically speaking. I'm so thankful, though, because of Jesus, I'll never cease to exist. I pass from this life into the next. I will live forever with my Savior. And so the tiredness, the achy muscles, the achy back, when you can't even, well, I'll try, bend over on certain days to tie your shoe, all those things, all those physical frailties that we must face in this life, oh, they'll soon be like a fleeting memory. We have an opportunity to serve the Lord. Oh, here's the good news of the great message today. In Philippians chapter 2, remember we read a couple of verses from there? In verse number 9, 10, and 11, what I find is that the Father honored Jesus' service. Notice what the Bible says. Wherefore God also hath highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow. Of the things in heaven, things in earth, and things under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Now you say, well, that's nice. The Father honored the Son for his sacrifice. Well, the most beautiful thing that I could tell you to end this message is that Jesus actually says that the Father will honor you for your service as well. In John chapter 12, write it, write it down. John chapter 12, verse 26, Jesus said these words. If any man serve me, if any man serve me, let him follow me. And where I am, there shall also my servant be. If any man serve me, him will my father honor. Do we want to bring our heavenly father honor and glory? Thank you, whoever said amen. Do we really want to honor, to bring God, our Father, honor and glory? Right there it says, If any man serve me, him will my Father honor. Folks, if you're here today and you have never trusted Christ as your Savior, you've heard about Jesus, you've heard people talk about Jesus, I just showed you through His humility, obedience, and sacrifice, the gospel. I showed you the gospel right there. He humbled himself. He became obedient. Obedient unto the death of the cross. He sacrificed his very life for you. If you're here today and you've never trusted Christ as your Savior, what are you waiting for? I don't know anybody who has humbled themselves, become obedient, and died for me other than Jesus. He's the only one that has ever laid down his life for you. Why not trust him today? Why not call out upon the name of the Lord and say, Jesus, I'm a sinner, I need help, just like I did. By the way, I tell people this all the time. I'm still a sinner. The difference is I'm a sinner that has been saved by the amazing grace of God. Nothing has changed about me except for Jesus. If you think something special about you without Jesus, we're in trouble. The only thing special in any of us is Jesus. And so if you're here and you've never trusted Christ, don't leave this room. 
If you come, search me out after the service. If you don't want to pray right now, man, come talk to me after the service. I beg you, don't leave without Jesus. Because who knows what you face out here on these crazy highways and byways. But maybe you're sitting here and you've been sitting on the sideline waiting for somebody else to do it. I told my wife this morning, I said, we don't have time, but what I'd like to do is ask, who in this room serves in the upward basketball ministry? And have everybody stand up. And then say, who in the leaders here in upward basketball serve in some regard with our children's ministry or adult ministry? Stay standing. And then who out of those serve in our music ministry or our nursery? Whatever, stay standing. And then to be able to look around the room and see how few people are standing. I heard of a pastor doing that. What an eye-opener. He commended the service of people, but in doing so, he ripped the scab off of the wound of entitlement in the church. If you're sitting on the sidelines, wait no longer. Wait no longer because our life's a vapor. It appears for a little while and then vanishes away. Get busy serving the Lord today. You say, well, I don't have a position of service. Oh, you could be out here greeting people. You could hold one of these crazy signs. I was out there today. I was out there waving at people this morning as they came for Bible study, honking, and that's great. That's a lot of fun. You could do that. You could be a greeter. You could, you could get involved with the Bible study class. You could serve in children's ministry. Why do we require the same 20 people to do everything? You could serve as an usher. You could come up here and help anytime you want. I had somebody tell me, I want to do this, I want to do this, I want to do this for the Lord. We're open all the time. Come on up here. You can wipe the baseboards, you can wipe down the pew, whatever you want to do. You want to type a letter for Jesus? Come up here and type a letter for Jesus. Whatever. And those who want to recommit, maybe there's someone here that wants to recommit. Says, you know what, I used to serve the Lord with all of my heart, with all of my soul, with all of my mind, with all of my strength. But it's been a long time. And today, Lord, I'm asking you to break my heart to get me back on the firing line, so to speak, to serve you. Whatever your need is, salvation, whether you need to recommit to serve, or maybe this would be a great time for you to say, you know what, I want to start serving. What can I do to be a blessing? You can get up here in the choir and sing. And if you can't sing, get up here and move your lips and smile. <laughs> I love you guys. And although this message was a little difficult, I pray that now, most of all, that you'll do business as the Holy Spirit leads you. Let's pray. Thank you so much for listening. If you'd like more information about our ministry, check out our website at battlefieldbaptist.org or follow us on Facebook and Instagram. We'll see you next time.